Wretched is he who looks back upon lone hours in vast and dismal chambers with brown hangings and maddening rows of antique books, or upon awed watches in twilight groves of grotesque, gigantic, and vine-encumbered trees that silently wave twisted branches far aloft. And wretched is he who also looks back upon some ill-advised Lovecraft films. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I am Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we will be reviewing 1995's Castle Freak, written by Dennis Paoli and directed by Stuart Gordon, and uh, loosely based upon Lovecraft's short story, The Outsider. Um, We were going to have a friend of the show, Jerry Smith, join us for this episode, but he had a family emergency, so he cannot join us. So you're stuck with the two of us. Um, Yeah, sorry. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah, you should know by this point what you're getting into anyway. um, So The Outsider, um, yeah, this is James. I I didn't realize this is our actual first direct, well, direct adaptation, quote unquote, of a Lovecraft text Um, since we did The Resurrected back in August. as yeah. as is the case with um, any author who has um, shuffled off this mortal coil, there's only so much material, so there's only so many adaptations. So we've been kind of saving a lot of the direct ones left because we don't want to run out of material. So we we held off as long as we could, but a Castle Freak double feature just did not seem like something we could pass up. Um, so I'm going to do something I haven't done since August, which is uh, give you a little bit of background on the story before we get into the movie. Um, so gather around children, it's story time. So The Outsider was published in Weird Tales in 1926. Um, it is actually one of Lovecraft's most commonly reprinted stories. It makes sense. It's kind of, uh, quick. It's effective. Uh, it's got a little twist at the end there, which you kind of, if you haven't read it before, you don't really see coming, which is pretty nice. Um, in a, a, in a letter Lovecraft wrote, he says that this story most closely resembles the style of his idol, Edgar Allan Poe writing, it represents my literal, my, oh, it represents my literal, though unconscious imitation of Poe at its very height. And uh, Lovecraft scholar S.T. Joshi echoes and writes, the opening paragraphs echo those of Poe's Berenice, while the horror at the party recalls the unmasking scene in The Mask of the Red Death. Um, It is a, it's a very simple short story, like I said, if you haven't read it before, um, it's told from a first-person perspective that details kind of this lonely and miserable life of an individual who has seemingly never made contact with another human. Kind of, you know, there's a few sections where it details his past and how he never seems to kind of have left the castle where he lives, and he's got this determination to free himself. Um, he climbs up to what he thinks is a tower, only to kind of realize, like, oh, I'm, I'm actually climbing up to the ground. I'm, I'm actually subterranean. I didn't realize this. He spies a party going on and enters through a window, only to find that everyone kind of screams and flees in terror. And while he is so frightened at what might be emerging, he sees a creature, approaches it slowly, reaches out, and touches it and flees in horror, when he realizes that what he has touched is just a mirror, and that horrifying creature was himself all along. So it is kind of a cool little twist, because you can only really, that perspective, you can only really get away with it from a a, a a literary standpoint like you can't really tell a movie in like a first person perspective and just be like oh everyone's looking at me at the camera and fleeing i wonder what it could be that is so horrifying so it would work as it would work as a short yes work as a feature film yeah no you certainly you couldn't uh i mean maybe people who've seen hardcore henry would disagree i don't know if you can really tell an entire movie from a first person perspective and, and have it be engaging but um yeah but just this idea too of like you know because you're in you know you're you're inside the the narrator's mind and you're you're realizing 
or 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 he is not realizing why all these people are freaking out so it's got to be this some external threat so i'm going to flee as well and oh my god i see something and it's horrible what is it and i'll try and touch it and then that ultimate reveal at the end like no it was me that i was seeing all along like oh that's that's a a nice little a, a nice little kind of like knife in the gut kind of a thing um yeah but it is like i said loosely based on the outsider which is kind of has to be a loose adaptation because there's not a ton to the story. There's not exactly a plot or conflict or characters outside of our main character per se. So um, in steps Charles Band and Full Moon Productions and uh, Stuart Gordon. Now this is um, Castle Freak is not our first student uh, Stuart Gordon film. It's not even our first or second Stuart Gordon film starring Jeffrey Combs and or Barbara Crampton. On top of that, it's not even our first or second Stuart Gordon film starring Jeffrey Combs and or Barbara Crampton produced by Charles Band. So yes. <laughs> we're going... Dish, you know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're going back to the well. Of course, the very first uh, episode we did was Reanimator. That was, you know, Stuart Gordon, Barbara Crampton, and Jeffrey Combs. Um, but then, of course, there was uh, From Beyond, which, once again, Stuart Gordon, Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton, and Charles Band, who was executive producer on, on that one. Um, but this is, you know, Charles Band, full-blown producer, Stuart Gordon, uh, co-writer, director. Um, what's interesting about this movie is that um, the poster was designed before the film was even made. <laughs> which, is, which, was, which was the norm for Charles Band, where <laughs> I've heard from other, like, writers, I think it was even um, David Goyer, mm. was working early on trying to make it in the business, and he went into Charles Band's office looking for work, and... I want to write a script, blah, blah, blah. Like, and Charles Band had a poster said, well, write a script based on this. Yep. And it was, and it was demonic toys. Okay. So like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I kind of love that because it just shows you where it doesn't matter. It's like, we already have this poster that was like really beautifully painted. Mm. Just right around it. Like, what's it about? Well, there's a castle and there's a freak. And <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all you need. And and that's that's exactly what it was. Stuart Gordon walked into Charles Band's office. There was a poster, and Band said, and and when Gordon asked about it, Band said, "Well, there's a castle, and there's a freak, um, and thus um, Castle Freak was born." Um, Charles Band told uh, Stuart Gordon he could do whatever he wanted as long as he maintained the concepts of a castle and a freak. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Gordon had full control. He just had to keep the budget, uh, the budget under $500,000. Um, and they filmed it in a castle, um, that Charles Band actually owned, which, um, this was the first time that I learned that, uh, Charles Band made enough money where he could just own a castle, I guess. And it was like his extra studio for a lot of films. Like yeah. if you watch a lot of those early full moon pictures, a lot of them took place in castles because he owned one like subspecies. The vampire films he made mm-hmm. in a castle because he owned it. <laughs> like, yeah, um, and you know it speaks to the the Charles Band slash Roger Corman attitude, where it's like we don't have a whole lot of money, so we're going to use whatever we can to just make it. Like, hey, you have a castle that's readily available yeah. to you and free to like. Yeah, let's base a movie around that castle location, basically. And you know why not, James? I I don't have access to a castle. I don't think you do either. No, no I don't. If I did, um, I would make some movies there. <laughs> yeah, um, probably have a throne that you would sit on in uh, uh, regular intervals. I would, I would, I would assume. But I guess so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but and and this was sort of in a now I 
James knows a lot more about Charles Bannon and Full Moon than I do. That's that's kind of more his his uh his his niche than or his niche than mine. But this was um this was the first Full Moon release because Full Moon actually used to have a partnership with Paramount, so Full Moon would produce stuff, Paramount would distribute it for them. Um in uh in like the mid 90s the the video market kind of started falling apart a little bit um for paramount so this was the first full moon release um after they had separated from paramount who had been their distributor so this was the first one that they kind of released on their own um it was actually supposed to be released on halloween uh but it said kind of got dumped in uh, november of 1995 uh when we see this come out and i it's funny because i keep thinking this was like an 80s movie and no this was made in 1995 but it just it has just that quality of an 80s movie of just kind of low budget and exploitative and just sort of weird um this is also i remember now as i'm digging back into their archives um the first i think full charles band produced lovecraft adaptation we did was lurking fear and that was not it wasn't the worst but it wasn't good it it, but it was far from the best as well um (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm looking at our summary for it, uh, and the final sentence says, we may be dealing with a film worse than Albert Pion's Cool Air. Um, I, I think we ultimately said it wasn't. I think we kind of went, eh, it's not it, much better, but it's a little bit. Yeah. Um, slightly. But, uh, and, I, and I was telling um, James this uh, before we started recording, that if you are a fan of Charles Banner, you want to get to know more about him, uh, Mick Garris has a podcast called Postmortem. And uh, one of his most recent episodes is an interview with Charles Band, which is sort of a Charles Band 101. Um, if you're a huge Charles Band Full Moon fan, it may not reveal anything you didn't already know, but it's kind of a conversation with him about how he got started in the movie business, um, how he kind of ultimately got into producing and, and touches a little bit upon, you know, his partnership with Stuart Gordon, um, Puppet Master, that kind of stuff, but not in depth, not kind of the the... I have to imagine he's got tons of salacious stories. None of this are really revealed in this podcast. Probably, but like we don't want like sometimes like like you you were saying and it probably is why uh, Mick Garris is very has always been very complimentary of Charles Band, so he probably doesn't want to push or pull out too much like yeah, rather be like well, let's just talk about an overarching feel of your career if people want to there's there's multiple books that have been written like yeah from of course mm-hmm. the outside the, from the outside from it within and from actually Charles Band's point of view. So you can kind of get both sides of yeah. stories. And there's never really been anything horrifically negative, like about, at least from what I can gather, I've never really seen anything like salacious in a sense, like, but but again, very a lot of the films are very exploitative and, you know, especially when it comes to women. We've sure. seen this many times. And like this one too, some of the little tidbits he put in the notes, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like uh, yeah, sounds, sounds like a Charles Band film. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it. Listen, and I'm sure the podcast is only an hour and a half. Uh, I mean, you could spend an entire day with Charles Band and probably hearing stories about him. It does seem like the worst thing that he kind of did was, which was nothing worse than what Roger Corman did, where it sort of like committed right. a certain amount of money and then partway through, it's like, oh, by the way, um, I'm putting this money towards this thing instead, or I'm or I'm giving you like so you you take a, a, a micro budget and make it even even a smaller budget, but and. And yeah, I mean, he knew what we he was working with, so he kind of had to populate his stuff with a lot of boobs and gore to try and you know make a little bit of money yeah. back. Um, right. But I, yeah, I mean, I I I don't think Charles Band 
uh, was getting me tooed or anything like that. You know, he's not that kind of person. He's more of just kind of the uh, the the financier or producer, which is kind of a nightmare to deal with, as opposed to a, a human who is a nightmare to deal with, which right. um, is a compromise. I think we're all kind of um, fine with taking. But um, this was my first time seeing Castle Freak, I have to admit. Oh. Had you seen this one before, James? Many, many times. Many times. Um, <laughs> okay. This was one. This is one from back in the um, the video store days um, when it did come out um, at our local Blockbuster. Actually, it was a big deal because Van must have had a a great deal with Blockbuster mm. because all his films would like be able to be rented there. Yeah, and remember this, this one especially is like kind of un, basically unrated, but I think. Somehow that got around a lot of stuff. It was unrated. I guess they didn't re- like. I don't know. Maybe whatever the deal was, they just didn't realize something was up. Maybe like wasn't as mm. gory or nudity filled. And it's like, so me being a Stuart Gordon fan at the time, like, oh, what? Oh, it's a new, a new one. Okay, want to check this out? And like, you know, for sixteen-year-old James, you know, this has had the right amount of, you know, griminess, gore. <laughs> nudity and then plus you have like the pedigree of like you know jeffrey combs and barbara crampton who you recognize you're like okay cool yeah yeah and and a lot of italian actors you know either dubbed or speaking broken english Mm -hmm. because it was filmed in italy so like it was almost like these films a lot of times a lot of the actors would say it was almost like a a vacation of sorts where they (laughs) oh you know for two weeks, we'd have to film this movie, which was fun. But then we'd have the best food, mm-hmm. you know, the best locales. And like, I mean, hell, that's kind of like spring. Spring was like, like, yeah. like they talked about how filming in Italy was like actually pretty great because of the fact that they got to like have the best food and like just like look around and go, wow, this is actually a real place. Yep. It's like beautiful. So yeah, we're here. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're here in America. It's kind of boring. But I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean. I remember, you know, and again, I've watched it a few times over the last, you know, now, I guess, almost 30 years. And I've always liked it, but it wasn't one I would, like, run back to and go, oh, do you want to see, like, a like a good, like, adaptation of a Lovecraft story or, like, just, like, a good Stuart Gordon film? It would probably not be in the first five I would mention. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would mention a bunch of others right, right away. And... Hell, I mean, I'm a really big fan of his uh, Pit in the Pendulum that he did for also Full Moon with uh, Lance Henriksen. Which I have very, not seen. Yeah. Very low, but again, filmed at a castle mm-hmm. with Charles <laughs> Band. So, of course. Of course. Um, but I think what's weird about this one is that it actually, and it's weird to say this because, again, it's very salacious. It's very, like, you know, exploitative, like, exploit, exploitation film. But it's actually the least funny of like any of his films. Like there's, there's yeah. actually no comedy at all. Even like when you watch it, like this, it almost, almost tries to like put it, not a joke, but like they try to do some lighter, but it's like, it's about alcoholism. It's about, you know, a, a, you know, a son dying and a daughter getting blinded because of your alcoholism. Yeah. Your estranged wife hating you, like mm-hmm. hating you. And rightfully so. It's, <laughs> right. it's not like, you, you know, some movies you go, oh, why is, why is like, he just made like a stupid little mistake. No, you, you really fucked up, dude. Like, you, you, you fucked up your life. And none of that, your daughter's life, 
your wife's life and you killed your son. And it's kind of like, mm, I don't know how she's going to get over that. That's not something easy to get over. And plus, yeah. then on top of that, you have a freak that's living yes. in this castle. In, in like, a castle, a, a, a castle titular freak. castle freak. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no, you make you make a good point that there there's there's really. And I mean, if you've been listening to us uh, since the beginning, You'll know that I I don't know uh, I'm in the minority in the sense that I, I don't think the humor in Reanimator necessarily really works so um, I I'm right. fine with this kind of being straight as it is but yeah it's there's some real darkness and bleakness because it's not just what has happened in the past but also emotionally he's he's got this kind of crippling guilt that not just not just that he is aware of what he obviously he's aware of what he's done but also as you say right. his estranged wife is just like. And we'll get into it in a little bit, but that scene where he, she basically just kind of says like, no, you can't do anything to be forgiven. Like I will yeah. always hold this against you. And just how like, fuck man, like that goes against not just morally an idea of a redemption arc, but also like in a film too, like we, we expect to have one and there certainly right. is one, but it basically takes him sacrificing his own life to get to that point. Like the only way he can, he can redeem himself. Yeah. He yeah. can redeem himself is like a life for a life basically. And I, I I had a my reaction to this movie was a bit of a roller coaster. Like for the for mm -hmm. most of it, I kind of like this movie sucks and it's terrible and it's low budget, <laughs> and bad. Oh, it's um, very low budget. I agree hundred percent with that. Like especially, it feels very much like an Italian TV movie. It uh, very like yeah. you know what I mean. Like it feels very like saturated of any like vibrancy. But again, that kind of works for the depressing depression like of it. Like the this. This castle is supposed to be like this beautiful place, but it's like a tomb for his, yeah. mm -hmm. for his, you know what I mean? And like has to live with this. And it's also like the music. While I love Richard Band, his, you know, Charles Band's brother, this, this one, I will go out and say like, not one of his best. Cause it's like a lot of the stingers were like, almost sounded like fanciful. If you remember, <laughs> like it was like, mm -hmm. boop, boop, and you're like, that does not fit what the scene is about to be where like the freak is like eating someone's like nipple off you know it's like no yeah. that's not that's not what the song cue i wanted nope nope um yeah it's uh it, it, yeah it, so i was i was responding like this is very low budget and like it's kind of bad and relying on like as is the, the a yeah. case with many of the worst b movies like it's relying on viscera because it has no other guts to it pardon the pun but <laughs> then like i but then like near the end i started thinking about it and have thought about it a little bit more and like actually i think jeffrey combs and barbara crampton kind of oh. elevate the material a little bit like they're both pretty good actors and jeffrey combs yeah. like ha has enough of the of kind of being like dramatic but not over the top where it becomes kind of silly um right. Like he, he like hits that note where if he went further, it would have been like almost like a stereotypical Nicolas Cage performance where we all like people go, oh, he's being crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's like you see the, the anger and the guilt and the sadness and just like he's battling not only what he's done, but he's battling just with himself, his alcoholism throughout this whole movie. And like, it's weird to say like while there's viscera and there's, tits and ass and like all this other stuff in this film it's weird to say like i think this is like one of Stuart gordon's like more grown-up films mm -hmm. like grown up in a sense like yes there's still this exploitation manner of it but 
he's not going for like easy laughs like oh look there's a dead cat you know like oh, oh it's alive you know let me kill and i love that stuff but it's like he could have done that because that's what he was known for even from beyond has humor in it like a little bit not as much as reanimator but it does have little twinges of humor like mm. the characters kind of like joke around a little bit this one's like no this really is nothing it's just a depressing story and like you know just you know they're basically the Jennifer Connelly, um, you know, daughter, um, the blind daughter. And I don't mm. know why she reminded me, especially the poster. It looks like Jennifer Connelly in like Phenomenon. Phenomenon, yeah. Mm. Right? It's like, which I wonder if we could somehow spin that as a Lovecraftian. No, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shut this down right now. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, <laughs> no, I, I don't want, I don't want to revisit the, the movie where the monkey saves the day at the end. Oh, come on. That's the bet. No, I know. <laughs> but no, but like, I don't know if I'm like overreaching, but like, I'm not saying it's a great film, Castle Freak, but I think it has a lot more substance than the usual um, Stuart Gordon Lovecraft adaptation. And yet, this is probably the one that has the least adaptation of anything. It's just a castle and a freak. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's and... it. There's nothing really else about it that's like, oh, from the story, but like, it's a freak that, and I guess the the we were talking, you know, you were talking about the wise daughter blind. I guess that's just to kind of prolong the, um, the daughter's, you know, like the daughter's not seeing this freak that's like right in front of her. Like, mm. so we as an audience are like, oh my god, run away! But like, she doesn't see him. He's like yeah. right there, and he's, you know what I mean? I guess that's for the tension parts. But like this, there's no other reason except for to. Also to, um, I guess, to keep reliving that moment of the car crash and like what he, Jeffrey Combs, you know, is, you know, he has to keep seeing what he's done to his daughter. And not only that, Barbara Crampton has to always see what, what he, and she's overprotective of her because what happens when Combs is just like, oh, I had a few drinks. I'm just going to drive you guys home. Yeah. You know? and, and I guess it, it's, I, I, I certainly understand the the idea of um, well the 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 twofold the idea being twofold as one a constant reminder as though the absence of the sun is not enough of a of a reminder but a constant reminder of of his actions and what how it has long lasting repercussions not just on his on his life but on his family as well and also right. the idea of it playing into. Um, tension crafted within a scene of the freak and the daughter mm -hmm. that would work better i think if Stuart gordon was a i'm going to say a better director and crafted tension well which i don't think he does um in this one especially i don't i don't think it's again is that because of the cheapness of it like there's stuff about it that like could have worked better if maybe there was i don't know he wasn't working i think with the same crew as he usually would he's working with a very basically English wasn't their first language, so you kind of had to like almost show what you wanted to them, you know. Yeah, and um, vice versa. But, but again, you know, I'm not, I'm I'm gonna say it. while I loved Stuart Gordon, he was a better stage director. Yeah, I think like he you know, <clears throat> plays and whatnot. But movie wise, while I love his films, that I don't go like, oh my god, that that scene, you know, was beautifully orchestrated. Like I can't pick out a scene that I could go, oh. 
the way the two characters look on the screen and how they're speaking to each other is very like you know no it's just it's kind of like very run-of-the-mill like here's a set you know here's a set you know here's a set here's what's going on it's yeah very, like you know what i mean it's nothing like oh my god you remember that scene from from beyond well and, and i'm sure and i'm sure you know Working, having to keep the budget under five hundred thousand dollars, you're shooting on film, so you can't, yes. <clears throat> you can't have, <clears throat> excuse me, you can't afford to have extra takes. Yeah, an unlimited number of takes. Um, <laughs> right. And it does seem like, uh, based on our, our experience with Stuart Gordon, with the exception of maybe Dagon, I'd say mm -hmm. his skill seems to be in with in directing actors and having them yes. really balance that line between. We need you to kind of get involved and to and to emphasize, like I said, how dramatic things are, but not over the top, because mm -hmm. then it starts getting ridiculous. And I think Dagon right. bleeds into ridiculous. Like I keep thinking of that, like uh, when they're yeah. trying to break into his room, and he's like, "Who's there?" It's like, oh, "Come on, you, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you know who's there, or you know what they want." But yeah, um, they want your blood. Come on. But in this one, yeah, Jeffrey Combs does a great job of when he shows up, yeah. like he's trying to kind of be the optimistic guy of like, maybe this will go. A, a decent way towards my family kind of like of us turning the corner of us like yeah dad you did we did a well, i mean as though he did anything by just inheriting a castle but like yeah maybe this is a new chapter for the family and he's trying to be optimistic and you really get the sense of like they they do have a great dynamic dynamic him and the daughter you know like kind yeah. of a, a playful little nature and how he he is adapted to her being blind but then when things are going bad and he's like, why does nobody believe me? And you can kind of see him kind of going a little crazy. It's like, no, I, I know what's happening, but no one believes me because I am an untrustworthy character. Right. Um, <clears throat> so Stuart Gordon can do that very well, but he's not a, a great craftsman in the sense of cinematic language, I would think. So, yeah, there is kind of like one scene, maybe two, but like one big scene where the, the freak is in the room and the daughter kind of doesn't realize it because she's blind. But that yeah. it doesn't it just he, it doesn't play out very well or like there's it doesn't go on long enough for there to be tension until eventually she realizes what is going on it's just kind of like oh okay we we've i'll i'll introduce it to you but i'm gonna pull it away right away it just doesn't it doesn't really work very well um well, even like it's like there's like the chase scene when he's like you know going after the daughter and barbara crampton and like they trap him for a second and then like they get away they're quiet and all of a sudden he just comes out of a corner and he's like hello <laughs> yeah like it's like you didn't even wait like a minute like that was not tense at all and I'm like wow like how did i not like remember that like like wow that was he's just like i'm back i'm like oh where were you like you were gone for a second you know like <laughs> they didn't really get you like yeah and whatever. You, you you gotta, I mean, I guess you gotta know where your bread is buttered. I mean, they, they, <laughs> people want to see the creature and they want to see the, the yeah. gore and they want to, so I, but it's also, it still is just kind of like, you, you could have had a, a somewhat similar, or, or you could have played out the tension in a different way if, if, if you're, if the daughter was, you know, if she was crippled from the accident or something like that, or, you know, right. and it, and especially like that thing of, you're in a castle, there's no elevators, like, so there is tension there in the sense of, like, I have to get away from this thing or I have to protect myself from this thing, but there are many physical barriers in my way kind of a situation. Um, right. Or even, and, and even how you then maybe have, like, parallel themes of, like, this freak who is this physically deformed thing and, and, and like, maybe the daughter is dealing with the same thing. Like, I am, like, I'm a freak too because look at what happened to me. 
and you have maybe right. a thematic parallel there. But instead, we just kind of have like, oh, she's blind, and there's maybe a little bit of of a tense scene there, but not really. And like, and it, I I don't think it adds a ton to the story um, yeah. itself necessarily. Um, but and and yeah, and, and but what also kind of turned me not turned me a little bit, but I mean, just really thinking about um, it as a Lovecraft adaptation. This does have a reputation of being one of the quote unquote best Lovecraft adaptations, which I think just kind of unfortunately speaks to the level of quality across the board of Lovecraft adaptations out there. Cause it's not, it's not a bad movie, no. it's, but it's also not very good. Um, but it, it but does, it's one of the best, but it's one of the best Lovecraft adaptations, which, but it's loosely based on the outsider. So it's like, what, what are we working with here? Yeah. And, and I mean, but it does, it does have some, Lovecraftian stuff in it, like and stuff, and not even Lovecraft. Like, there are no tentacles in this movie, but just in terms of no. themes that you're going to get to, like this idea of like a, a of an evil or a curse that's um, inherent in your family line. Um, I mean, because he, you know, that 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 ultimate reveal of kind of like who the freak is and how it's connected to Jeffrey Combs's family, and just this thing of like, it kind of get the feeling of like, well this is one of my relatives and look at what I did. And maybe is this curse, like, is this something inherent within me, right. within this family line, which is very much um, a, a thing, which is part of Lovecraft's story. Um, and also, it, I don't know if I expressed this correctly in the notes, but um, mm -hmm. this idea of like, there's an emotional flavor to the Lovecraftian theme of, of an inescapable fate. But this one, yes. it's the yeah. inescapable emotion of, of as, as Barbara Crampton said, like, Susan is never going to forgive him. She says it basically that just like it doesn't matter what he does, doesn't matter what he says. You are never going to escape the fact that I am going to judge you, that I am going to look down upon you, that I'm going to hate you because of what you've done to this family. So like basically, as soon as we meet this family, there's nothing he can do to redeem himself unless at the end yeah, he, he sacrifices he sacrificed himself. He ends the family line, basically, or the, the male line of the family, basically. Right. Um, to overcome this curse, to overcome this hatred against him. Like, there, there is something that is, yes, very tragic about that, that, like, there was only one thing he could have done to get redemption, and it was to take his own life, basically. Yeah, to, to stop the freak and also to stop his own, quote-unquote, curse. You mm. know, like, a, like, never being forgiven. Well... And it, it kind of like at the end, like you see, like him dying actually is the only way that she'll ever forgive him. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, which is kind of depressing, you know? It's like, oh wow, that's... kind of fucked up. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, having said that, I I also uh, I also have to have to um, convey my disappointment with, <laughs> as is the case with a lot of low budget Lovecraft adaptations, a lot of Lovecraft adaptations in general, and a lot of stuff that you know, Stuart Gordon himself has made. Yeah. You got to make the money. You got to draw on the audience. So mm -hmm. those themes aren't explored as well, because instead we have to spend a lot of time with the freak eating the nipples off of an Italian prostitute or, yeah. you know, wow. um, or breaking its own thumb or eating its own thumb off so it can escape from its shackles. And, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that I'm opposed to gore. I mean, especially practical effects are, are gnarly and wonderful. The freak makeup is unsettling. Um, yeah, it is. It's horrifying looking. Like he looks like a castle freak. He, he does. He, I mean, 
Yeah, if if you asked me to describe a castle freak, it would probably be something like this specific castle freak. Um, but just this idea of instead we have to introduce viscera, we have to introduce titil like titillation. Like, was there? I mean, I suppose. You know, it does further the narrative in the sense of the prostitute comes back to the castle, the prostitute disappears, that brings the police that involved. So, like, it does further along, but, like, is is there really a need for a prostitute? Is there really a need for the nudity? Is there really a need for her nipples to be devoured? Like, outside of just, like, let's give the audience, like, the lowest common denominator and let's kind of give them something to make this, this money back and this investment back kind of a thing. Um... He says as though he is some Puritan who is opposed to nudity and gore and that kind of stuff. But it's more just this idea of like of what we can tell the film is focused on versus what it could really delve into. So just one is sacrificed for the other. That's my complaint with it. Yeah. And and the thing that I, I kind of laugh, like thinking back at this film is the box art. I remember for the VHS mm -hmm. did not shy away from the castle freak. You actually see the castle freak fully like his face he's almost like doing like a like a reaction shot like hey castle freak and he's like what's up and then he took a picture <laughs> yeah, of him yeah, yeah. and which is like you know so when we watch the film the film actually does it a better like a way of the reveal like at first it's like he's covered and you only see one eye and it slowly comes more torn and then he finally just rips it off and you're like oh but the but if if you knew the movie just from like the boxer you're like I knew what I was getting into. I was like, okay, that's what the special effect looks like. That's pretty hor horrifying looking. Cool. Mm -hmm. So when you watch the film, it's like it builds upon it. It's like I already have it. It's kind of like one of my favorite mess ups to me. And again, this is another Charles Band produced movie. Uh, one of my favorites, Taurus Trap. Mm -hmm. Taurus Trap is a fun, weird film, but the box art, while it has, you know, the back of the box tells you who the killer is. Like, oh, all right. Why would you tell me that? Like, you know, I remember my uncle getting it, and like, you know, we we had seen it, but my uncle's just like, wow, they they actually ruin it for everybody. They just tell you straight up, blah 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 is the killer. <laughs> it's like, I mean, when you're watching the film, you kind of maybe feel that, but you go, well, maybe it's not him. No, it no, that's who's the killer. You're like, so if you don't know that, again, if you want to go, like, there's a other box art for Castle Freak where it's just like the a bloody chain okay. hanging. Mm -hmm. But I've never, but I've never seen that box art. Like, that must have been other places. But like the one I'm familiar with is just him. You're like, okay, that's what I'm getting into. Cool looking. Mm. Let's see what this is about. You know. But I kind of like the fact that they tried to make it a little more um, not a surprise, but you know, we know he's going to be horrifying looking. But like how how horrific. So if you got to see it like just like you know streaming, you don't know what the box art looks like. You'll be better off knowing like oh, okay this this is what you know this guy and again what i we didn't even talk about how he not he escapes but like he's continuously whipped by like i guess his i don't know if it's his mother the care whoever the caretaker is this woman yeah who then whips him so much that she has a heart attack and dies in her bed <laughs> of course which just which just i don't know why that's so funny to me like oh man i, I beat the castle freak way too much today uh i guess i'm Guess I'm gonna die. <laughs> I like. I also wonder why it was, why the attitude was. I'm going to keep him alive, 
and right. continuously punish him uh, on a daily basis instead of just I'm going to kill this thing. Like I I don't like. But again, that's like a lot of like these. There's a freak who's like my son in the basement type of films. Like like there was one I watched with Corinne yesterday, The Unseen, film mm-hmm. I never watched before, and you know one of the you know like the killer or at least you know whatever who's killing some girls is this freak of incest you know like it's just like a brother and sister that had sex and like whatever but like and it's it's like oh he's in the basement locked up but somehow he can actually escape and go through like like you know little holes in the in the floor and it's like mm. but he's a but he's a but he's a behemoth it's actually he's played by um the actor Stephen first from animal house the chubby guy the okay. chubby nerdy guy mm. so it's weird but it's like i'm like Okay, so how is he escaping through these little corridors? Like, is he like he's able to be like a mouse and just kind of like shrink his body a little bit? Because it made no sense. But again, why wouldn't you kill this like freak of nature in a sense? But it's like, I guess that's the curse. You have to continuously punish this being. I guess I don't yeah, know. It's, that one's really weird. It's like, why are you just keeping him alive? You're like ninety years old, and you've been doing it for. How long? Yeah, I, I mean, on, on, guy? on a movie level, certainly it's like, well, you, you you do it because otherwise we don't have a movie. But yeah, it does like right. it does in in the world. It doesn't seem to make sense. Like if this thing is so shameful, then just get rid of it and destroy right. the evidence, even though that that is very much a Lovecraftian thing, too, of like there's, you right. know, the, the body is still kept around or this thing is still kept in a barn somewhere kind of a situation. Um, right. But getting back to what you said about like the, the poster, because like, yeah, there's the 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 box art is very much like yeah it's the freak it's almost so so saying like hey cheese and he's like kind of giving you a little like <laughs> but with his his cat's free thing but there's another one which is kind of like a hand-drawn one which once again both yes. of these are kind of like trying to like get you like uh uh come in we got some we got some real juicy stuff here another one is the daughter yes um with her shirt unbuttoned being removed so her bra is right. out and it's the freak's yeah. hands pulling the shirt off, and it just says "hideous, hungry, and loose." So yes. that too also like kind of implies that this is going to be titillating and sort of like, ah, come in here, we're like it's going to be real kind of yeah, sexy no. and scandalous and dirty and gross. Um, it's dirty and gross. That's what it is. <laughs> it's dirty and gross. Um, not so much sexy. Um, no. But I mean, like like I said, even just to, if you dig into the the IMDb trivia, um, yeah. <laughs> there are three bullet points which uh three of the last five just kind of talk about the titillation so we have in the original climax of the movie susan was supposed to be totally naked in order to lure the creature away from her daughter however barbara crampton felt it was too cold in the castle to get fully naked and said she opted to take off only her blouse and bra in the final cut another one when susan reveals her breast to seduce the creature it is unknown if that is crampton's actual nipple or if she was wearing nipple patches. Um, truly a bit uh, of insight, which lends nothing to the movie-going experience. No, I, 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 like, I thought, and it's not a question I would ask Barbara Crampton. Were those your nipples or nipple patches? <laughs> yeah, very important were question. Those, were those stunt nipples? Yeah, I just, I just have one question for Miss Crampton, please, over here. <laughs> um, and then the last one, which is someone thought they yes. were real clever writing this. After yes. Susan unbuttons her blouse and bra for the creature, a cross necklace is clearly visible between Susan's breasts, although it seems obvious the creature isn't looking at the necklace. And, and wow. 
just to kind of insight right there right yeah um truly uh the future is bright but just kind of goes to show once again like what was the focus what was the draw what are people paying attention to when they're watching this movie and so they're like this could have been this could have been something more than that but also i know i i know that there is this this there's an inherent kind of expectation which is like okay this is horror this is low budget we're not just going to have people sitting around talking for an hour and a half, which I, I say somewhat as a lament because like, well, but you can do that interestingly too. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. Um, but I also wonder, I sometimes wonder if Barbara Crampton is sort of upset um, with not her past, but just if there was like, you know, if when she got hired, it's like, well, there's a certain expectation, Barbara Crampton, like, are you cool with that? And like, was she cool with it? I don't know. I think that's why, like, she like she was not in the horror genre for so long. Mm-hmm. Like, she was just doing like the um, the soap opera for like after like because she kind of wanted to get away from that for a while because really that's like she was getting known as like a scream queen, like where you know nudity and like yeah. kind of like you're the you're the pretty face in this movie. But it's like I think she just wanted to like showcase like you know I could actually act if you like give me like a good role. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like in this one, you know, you feel her pain in this movie. But again, let's let's get your uh, blouse off, you know, <laughs> like yeah, get your bra top off, you know. Because she she certainly like is she is she hostile towards Jeffrey Combs? Yes, but also she never plays it to the extent where it's kind of like she's a harpy or kind of like we hate her. Like we understand no. fully where she's coming from. Right. I mean, she she freaks out when the daughter is like cut you know her her knee is scraped mm. and like where were you to jeffrey Gang combs like i was just i i was but again what excuse do you have dude like you weren't watching her yeah like well, she walked away and because for her it's very much like this is all that i have left why are you not protecting her like with your every fiber of your being which he ultimately does at the end um right, exactly but yeah and, and also you have to think like okay so you're an alcoholic you killed one of my kids, you blinded the other one, and you think what's best for us is picking up and moving to an entirely different country to live in a castle? Like, so you have to, I can also kind of imagine her just being like, no, this is this is the opposite of what you should be doing. This is the opposite of taking care of the family. You are, up, you are uprooting us and moving us somewhere else. So she is a character that is hostile towards her estranged husband but also like rightfully so and i can understand where she's coming from because of it so it's it's basically just kind of like a tinderbox of like you know would this whole thing have gone off without a freak involved like i'm sure it, w- it would have but you know the freak certainly expedited the process i would think 100 percent, yes <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah they're both very good actors um they they elevate this material a little bit like once again i don't think it, it's great i don't even particularly think it's very good but i think if you didn't have jeffrey combs and barbara crampton in this movie you got something a lot worse i think yeah i think so too like i think it would have been close to a cool air like type of oh my god you know, if, if, if it was just some no no name actors that just take you know like only had one film under credit it, it wouldn't have been good Mm. This elevated the material, which shows you that again, Gordon actually is very good with actors. Like mm. that's where he shines with the actors, not yeah. with the actual sometimes material itself. But like but, again, yeah. a minor Lovecraft film, but I think it's one worth checking out. You know. Yeah, it's you know. it's it's not 
terrible. Um, if you have a subscription to Shutter, it's free there, mm -hmm. so you can check it out. It's like it's a breezy like ninety minutes, so it's not going to take a, yeah. a, a ton of your time. Um, and yeah, Buried Beneath the Viscera is a pretty emotionally mature film in the sense of yeah, there the tragedy which is inherent in this, the 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 tragedy inherent in the fact that like the quote unquote happy ending involves the death of one of our main characters because that is the only way he could redeem himself was would be to sacrifice himself to end this curse in his family it is it's it's happy but it's sad and like you know the daughter and the mother have each other but now they're without him and it's like it, it it's a yeah it's yeah. it's a it's an emotionally complex film which i i must admit i did not expect at all coming like from castle a movie freak. called castle freak yeah <laughs> exactly um it's always a good surprise you know I don't know. I don't know if I have much else to say. Um, no, there's not much more to say about Casper. Yeah, and it, I, I don't. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't warrant much. It's once again not being dismissive, but just like you know, it's it. It is what it is, and and I, I do think it is important to say like, is this if this is considered one of the best Lovecraft adaptations of all time? I do think, unfortunately, it speaks a little bit more to the quality of Lovecraft adaptations that one can um, find easily than. Um, than anything about necessarily how good or not this movie is, but um, that has been um, Castle Freak. We are Castle Cthulhu. You can catch us um, on Twitter at Cast Cthulhu. Find us on Facebook at Cthulhu Cast. You can catch up on our back episodes of uh, Castle Cthulhu anywhere that you find your podcasts, including Spotify, um, Google Podcasts. Um, we're on iHeartRadio now, I believe, um, yeah, if you want to find us there. Um, and of course, uh, castlecthulhu.podbean.com. Um, I am Nolan Fixes Teeth. James is Wonka Kills Kids. Um, and yeah, you can interact with us with there. You can email us also at moviesofmadness at gmail.com. Um, and that is, uh, yeah, that's basically our show. Uh, here we are. Here we go, James. We have one review okay. on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it is five stars. It is from, um, looks like, Laureen Winter. Quest for Glory 4 episode. I really enjoyed the Quest for Glory 4 episode. It's a game I played as a kid that still holds up today in narrative art and voice acting slash music. Thanks for covering it. Great conversation and host. Well, thank you, Lorraine. We appreciate that very much. That, of course, was our episode with Tyler Smith of Battleship Retention talking about Quest for Glory. Um, our only video game um, foray yeah. so far, but... Um, I'd like to say we do more, but like it takes a lot of time to play video games, you know. Like it does, especially some of the <laughs> some of the some of the uh, Lovecraft adjacent games are very world building and like they're much longer. Like you know, yeah. like the Call of Cthulhu games and mm -hmm. other stuff. It's like yeah, they're, they're not that short. Yeah, know? we'd we'd have to invest like twenty or thirty hours separately and then talk about it. And at that point, like. You know, a movie, you got an hour and a half, two hours, we can watch it one day, talk about it the next day. Video game is a lot more of an investment. Who's got time for that kind of stuff these days? But um, yeah. we do we do thank you, Lorraine, for your review, and you can leave yeah. us um, all sorts of reviews and emails or anything that you want, um, even if they're negative. If it's a one-star review and you hate us, I'll probably still read that because it'll probably be, <laughs> it'll probably be funny. But also don't give us one-star reviews because the higher reviews we get, the more that our stuff kind of gets pushed up and and advertise so if you leave us bad reviews just to be funny um just to troll us you know the just just for the lulls that might adversely affect us um yeah but um yeah so next time uh, we do have a plan for next time of course as we have uh talked about on our social media we are going to be covering the 2020 castle freak remake um that was produced by barbara crampton it was going to 
supposed to be kind of the beginning of a a second Lovecraft cinematic universe. The first one was supposed to be Richard Stanley's A Color Out of Space. Um, I will also you know what happened there. Yeah, we'll we'll also touch upon that a little bit in that episode as well. But this one, yeah. but yeah, Castle Freak, Barbara Crampton as a producer was supposed to start this one. I actually don't know if that is still moving forward because obviously it came out at the beginning of the pandemic. So like, are are the plans moving forward for that? Who knows? But uh, yeah, so we'll see how how the 2020 remake compares to the. 1995 original um classic so um yes thank you again for listening be sure to tune in um next time we'll be covering the 2020 remake of castle freak but in the meantime we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead cthulhu in his house in relia